0: Good morning. Hope you guys are doing great. Are you doing great? Good. We are very excited to be here with you guys, and I am very excited to be a part of this series that we're going through, as you have heard. Uh, it's called I Am. So far we have learned that we are loved, and because we were loved, we were rescued. And, and today we're going to talk about one of the most beautiful things that we have in Christ, which is our church family so um let me just pray very fast for us and 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 we'll study this how we are united father um, i just thank you so much for your love Uh, i thank you that uh, you give us the opportunity to be here together as your family and and i thank you father that uh, we can go just directly to you and and tell you how much we love you and that we can feel your presence and your power and today father we need um, to hear from you i know that you want to change some hearts in here And it is my prayer that you will do that miracle this morning in many of us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, the passage we're going to study today, we're going through the book of Ephesians. We're going to study Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And I promise you we will get there, but you'll have to be patient, okay? Because in order to understand the passage that we're going to read, it is imperative that we uh, understand and you know, remember and understand the full context of it all because you see, so you and I are deeply involved in, in, in the greatest, most amazing and epic story in the universe. See, this is a story that not only encompasses every other story in the world, but it's the most important story of them all. It is a story that is depicted in the Bible from beginning to end, and this is a story of God's plan to redeem mankind through the arrival of his son Jesus Christ and his return at the end of times. And we must recall some of the highlights of that story in order to understand uh, every point of this passage that we're going to read, okay? So let's start at the beginning. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created them with the sole purpose of placing here on this earth a a race, the human race, a race that was uh, so beautiful because it carried his very own image. And in the beginning, the Bible tells us that That creation was perfect. And that is to say that the creation was in this beautiful harmony with his creator, with God, but not only with him, but with every part of the creation. Sadly enough, uh, that harmony did not last very long. Soon after man was placed in this beautiful paradise, the enemy showed up. And no, it was not the Democrats, okay? And I know that the other half of you are thinking, I knew it is the Republicans. But no, it's not the Republicans either. You see, uh, people have never been the real enemy. But our enemy has been trying very hard to make us think that they are. See, uh, our enemy is a much more evil being who who hates God and hates his creation and is trying to destroy it. So what the enemy did is deceive us by making us believe that we would be better off without God. That if if we would disobey Him and eat from that forbidden fruit, we would become like Him. And we fell for it. So so we broke our relationship with God by rebelling against Him. But you know what? uh, What Adam and Eve couldn't have possibly foreseen is that that disobedience was going to completely destroy the harmony, the perfection with which God had created this world. So all of a sudden, all those beautiful gifts that he created for us turned against us. So this delicious food that he created for us became gluttony and and the wine became alcoholism and, and the beautiful gift of sex became lost and the people that we're supposed to love became the enemy. But on that very day, see, God came and made the first promise of his salvation. In Genesis chapter 3, yeah, he told that serpent after rebuking, it says, a boy will be born out of a woman and it's going to destroy the work of the enemy. It's going to crush your head. And you'll bite his heel, but he will crush your head. So life went on after that with a broken harmony and the world became a, a very ugly and dangerous place. To the point where God decided to press the reset button and start it again with just a fistful of people. And after that, the world got repopulated. And later on, at the appropriate time, he decided to prepare the way for his promised one. So what he did is, in Genesis chapter 12, he called a man named Abram out of the land of his father. And he told him to start walking to a land that he would tell him when he got there. So he started walking without even knowing where he was headed. But before he started walking, he made him a promise. He said, I will make you into a great nation. And through you, I will bless all the peoples of this earth. See, that was another promise of his Savior. Of the anointed one that was to come one day. He was announcing again Jesus of Nazareth. So Abram trusted God. And when he finally arrived to this land in Genesis 15... God made him a new promise. He says, I will make you the father of many nations. And that's when he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And, but you need to understand what God was doing there. Because what he was doing through Abraham was creating a people. See, he was creating a group of people that he wanted them to be different from all other nations, all other peoples around them. Okay, so he started giving them ways to differentiate themselves from others. So in Genesis 17, uh, he gave them a mark, you know, a sign that would set them apart. He gave them the circumcision. And I hope that you know what that is because I am not about to explain it, okay? But, you know, (laughs) God God said to Abraham that the circumcision will be the sign of the covenant between them. He says, this is going to be the sign of the covenant between you and I, okay? So that's the first thing that he said, you know, for, for us to be different or the the, the people of Israel to be different from those nations. But he warned Abraham and said, uh, your people is going to be enslaved in a strange country. And and that's exactly what would happen. But he said, you're going to be as numerous as the stars in heaven, okay? So Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot a bunch of kids, he had 12 kids. uh, And God sent one of them to prepare the way in that strange land called Egypt. And that boy was named Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, but raised to power by God. So at the end, 70 people ended up marching into Egypt as the Hebrew people. And they were first welcomed by their king, the pharaoh. But generations later, by a new pharaoh, they were enslaved out of the fear of their growing numbers. And 400 years later, God raised another prophet to free them. And his name was Moses. So Moses came, I'm sure you remember the story, you know, all the plagues came, the Pharaoh finally relented and let them out and changed his mind. So Moses, directed by God, opened the Red Sea and they crossed in dry land and then the ocean drowned all the Egyptian army. And once they crossed, God, through Moses, gave them something else that was going to make them very different from every other nation in the world. He gave them the law. And if you read the law, you're gonna see how parts of the law were to just keep them alive you know, because of the hygiene problems of the time, he would tell them not to eat you know, animals that they found dead on the road and wash their hands and things like that. But other, uh, another part of that law was to set them completely apart from the nations around them. So they ate different, they behaved different among themselves, and they worshiped only the God whose name was I Am, Yahweh. But we need to understand this. See, it was God's idea that they would remain separated from the rest of the nations. He is the one that told them, don't mix with other nations. Don't marry your sons to their daughters or your daughters to their sons. Don't worship their gods. But that was only to last until the promised one would arrive. The plan all along was to unite every people into one family, his family. And this is what was so hard for the Jewish people to understand. See, Jewish people thought that the plan was all along just for themselves, and that the law and the circumcision was to differentiate them from the rest of the world all the time. But when the promised Savior finally arrived in the purses of Jesus of Nazareth, you know, he told his disciples that the plan was to include every nation in the world. Actually, the last thing that he said to his disciples was, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them what I taught you, teach them to obey. And I will be with you always till the end of times. But in the beginning of the church, um, the Jewish mindset caused a lot of problems. See, the, the, the first Christians were all Jewish. And many of them were fine with following Christ. And they were even fine with people that were not Jewish, you know, to follow Christ with them as long as the law and the circumcision will remain the same. They did not open their eyes to the fact that Jesus was supposed to become our law. And that the circumcision would be one in the heart, a spiritual one, not a physical one. Paul, uh, of all the writers of the New Testament, understood this problem clearly. And this is why, of all the writings that you find in the New Testament, his are always clarifying this point. And this is what we're about to read. This is what is written in Ephesians chapter 2 and the verses that follow after 11. So let's start reading them and see what Paul is saying. Verse 11 says this, therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, see the word Gentile is formed by two uh, Greek roots that are "civile" and gentium, which means people from the outside. So they were talking to the outsiders, the people that were not born Jewish. In other words, you and I, okay? He's talking to us, okay? So he says, you who are Gentiles by birth and are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. See, the Jewish people use the word uncircumcised as an insult, you know, to to, to see you like a different person, like a, a lower person, you know, but Paul keeps trying to tell them that they are misunderstanding what the circumcision was and how it changed when Jesus came. Look at what he says in Romans uh, chapter 2, verse 29. I believe that you only have the address in your program, but you can read it on the screen. It says this, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. What Paul is saying is, Things that we do physically, things that other people can see, we do them to be praised by men, but our heart can only be seen and transformed by God. So this new circumcision, understand what that means. The new circumcision is the new thing that it's supposed to set us apart, to make us different from other people. It's a matter of the heart, because it's only when our hearts are transformed that we truly behave in a different way, and that is done by the Spirit and given to us by Jesus when we place our faith in him, okay? So Paul is talking to us and clearly he wants us to remember something because he repeats the word twice. See, in verse 12, he says, remember. This is the second time that he says this in this passage. Remember. What do we remember? Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope, and without God in the world. So Paul is trying to tell us, never forget that you and I, before Christ, were dead. We were alone. We were excluded from the family of God. And we were excluded from the benefits of the promise that he had made since the beginning. We had no hope, and we lived in the world without God, which means we didn't have the strength that comes from God. We didn't have the wisdom or the peace that can only come from God. But once again... Here comes an incredibly important but. Remember Mark mentioned an important but last week? Well, here's another one. In verse 13 it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, thanks to the blood of Christ that was poured in the cross for you and I, we were brought near to God. What that means is thanks to the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, that relationship that we had broken in the past in the beginning of time was restored see we broke it we rebelled but God pays with his own sacrifice for us to be restored to him so we are now at peace with God but not only that see verse 14 says for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility so not only uh, is he our peace with God but because of that sacrifice, now we're at peace with each other. See, he united both groups, Gentiles and Jews, into one group, and he destroyed the barrier that divided us. Now, how did he do that? Verse 15 tells us, it says, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. See, the perfect plan of God was always to set aside the law that had been given through Moses with all its commands and regulations. See, there are some people that want to say that Paul kind of distorted the message of Jesus by saying these things, but this was not a new thing. This had been the plan all along. Actually, I I want you to read here on the screen these words that were written by the prophet Jeremiah 626 years before Christ came. Look at what he says in uh, chapter 31, verses 31 to 33, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. He's already announcing 600 years before that there is going to be a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be the covenant I made with this, their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, which is what we just talked about. It says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I'm going to tell you what this means. You know, when we hear that the law has been set aside, some people think, oh, yay, you know, I can do whatever I want. The law has been set aside. But that's not what it means. See, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. If anything, what Jesus did is come to set the, the bar even higher than it was. See, he constantly said things like, You've heard it say, do not commit murder. But I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother. Because if you're murdering him in your mind, it's the same as if you actually murdered him. You've heard it say, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even covet in your head. So Jesus didn't come to make it easier in us, but to set the bar higher. Because he knew we were going to need something a lot more complex to be able to live that way. And that was have the law written on our hearts and he was going to transform our hearts and some people ask well then why was the law ever given to us see some people think that jesus was plan b that god gave us the law and he said behave this way and since we couldn't you know he was like okay what do we do okay holy spirit jesus come over what do we do okay jesus go you know like that's not what happened see The the fact is, the law was never given just to guide our behavior. The law was given to us so that we would realize that it's impossible to follow it for us. And it would point to Jesus because we would realize the need of a Savior. Look what Paul says in Galatians 3.19. He says, what is the use of the law? It was given later. In other versions, it says it was added to the promise. It was given later to show that we sin." But it was only supposed to last until the coming of that descendant who was given the promise. So he's saying two things here. The law was given to us just to show us that we sin, that we're breaking the law. See, when I first moved to Cancun, it was 1982, I know, last century. But, see, Cancun was a tiny town. In the whole town, we had one traffic light, one main avenue. The rest were tiny streets all around that avenue. All those streets were two-way streets. Everybody drove in whatever direction they wanted all the time because there was not a single arrow in town. But as it started growing and growing and growing, some order needed to be set. So all of a sudden, the police department decided to put arrows to show you in what direction were you supposed to drive. See, before that, we were driving the wrong way all the time, but we had no clue. But the moment they give you the law, you go like, oh, I'm breaking the law. And this is exactly what Paul just said. See, before the law, people were living life however they wanted, however they felt like it, and they were not breaking any law because there was no law given. But he says the law was given to show us that we're sinning. But it says it was only supposed to last until the promised one arrived. Okay, so back to Ephesians. See, uh, he said that he made out uh, of the two groups one, and the question is to what end? Why did he join Gentiles and Jews? Verse 15 continues and explains it to us as his purpose that we would be once again united. United with God, but united among ourselves. And through him, we would have access to God by the Holy Spirit, through Jesus' sacrifice, God was united all the people of the earth into one family, which is his family. And what is the result of that? Verse 19 says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So we're no longer different. We're not always differentiated from anyone else. We're not foreigners. We're not strangers, but citizens of a different nation. You know, this is God's nation. And we're members of a new family, which is God's family. And I want you to notice something very important there. Because verses like this open our eyes to the fact that our foundation is found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. See, there's people that want to just think of New Testament things. They're like, forget the Old Testament. It's, the God was angry there or something. He was very grumpy. Let's just concentrate on the New Testament. And there are some people that go the other way around. No, no, no. We have to grab on to the law and we have to celebrate the Sabbath exactly as it was celebrated and all the festivals. See, but this verse just said in verse 20... Our foundation is built on the apostles, which is New Testament, and the prophets, which is the Old Testament. But it says, but the chief cornerstone is Jesus. Both of them are important. Both of them give light to the life that we're supposed to live and what God has done for us. But the cornerstone remains Jesus. And then he ends saying these words in verse 21 says, in him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So only in him we can truly be joined together as his holy temple. And only in him and through him we're being built together to become the dwelling of his Holy Spirit. See, what that means is We need Him to be transformed, to be sanctified, but we need each other to grow together, to to, to give strength, you know, to each other, to hold arms together and go in the right direction together. So let's talk for a little bit about what all this means. see, this and uh, many other passages paint for us this beautiful picture of of what the church that God designed should look like. It is very interesting to me that Paul clearly here was writing to Gentiles. You know how he says, "Jew, Gentiles, pay attention, remember. Uh, But clearly, he had Jewish people in mind also when he was writing this. See, in Mexico we have a saying um, that I don't know if you have something similar here, but we say things like, I'll tell you Peter so John will listen. You know, like, I'm going to say this to you, but the one that I want to pay attention is the guy right next to you. And this is what Paul is doing here. He's writing to Gentiles, but, but clearly he has Jewish people in mind as well to pay attention. Because, see, the Gentiles, they don't know the law. They're not aware of the promises. They were not circumcised. So even though it's clear that Paul is trying to motivate the Gentile audience, he's trying to make us understand that we're now part of this great family, the message for the Jews is, You need to welcome the Gentiles. You need to stop building up the barriers that Jesus came to destroy. And even though this was supposed to be a process, of course, it was going to take some time, it didn't always work the way uh, that it was planned. But it was exactly what needed to happen in order for the kingdom of God to extend around the globe. And that's exactly what happened. See, all the disciples that extended the kingdom outside of Jerusalem started loving other people as they were part of their own group. But what does that mean for us today here? See, human beings by nature, uh, we tend to identify ourselves in certain groups. And we tend to flock together based on that identity. You know, so you can see how people tend to flock together based on their race or their color or, or sometimes it's gender, sometimes it's age. Sometimes it's silly things like the football team that I root for, you know? Like some of us here may root for the Dallas Cowboys. Some of you may root for the Houston Texans. That's fine, nobody's perfect, you know, it's okay. <laughs> you know, but, but see, interestingly enough, see, the farther away you go from your people, the less picky or exclusive that you become have you noticed that? See, everywhere you travel in the world, you see this happen, this phenomenon. Uh, like, like expats will hang together. You know, like Cancun has a big colony of, of people from the United States. And, and, and they will hang together even if not all the people in that group will qualify with their particular identity when they're in the U.S. But they'll, they'll flock together there. And, and, and if you go to a place where there's not even U.S. people, then you'll find something in common with someone else. But you tend to flock together. Now, this is the important part for us. See, the church was designed by God to be the only place where nothing else should matter, but whom do you belong to? Nothing else. See, the thing that we have in common, to do life together as a family is Jesus. And this is one of the exciting things for Karina and I to come to this place, because see, we see this happening here. You know, we've been coming with, well, you know, we, we started uh, here working with Community of Faith since 2008. And we have seen the changes and the growth in this place. And just look around you. See, I don't know another church with the diversity that this church has. You know, and, and it is just amazing, you know, with, with everything that is happening out there. You know, with everything that you hear in the news. And then you look around this building and you see all the different groups. But we see you all worshiping together and serving together and and, and hugging together and crying together sometimes. So we may not have many things in common, but we do have this one. Jesus died on the cross for all of us to bring us together. But you see, for some of us, this needs to go even further. Because if it only stops at coming here once a week, you don't realize what you're missing and I know that for some people here, this is happening. See, you've heard in the beginning, uh, the video about the Hispanic group, you know, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this, this group is it's like growing here in an incredible bond in Jesus Christ with all of you. See, I, I started connecting with Javier de Leon, the, 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 the man that you heard in the video of you got here early, better known as Javi, is the leader of that group. And I wanted to connect with him a little bit, you know, because I'm going to be coming a bit more often. So I want to start connecting with with that group a little. So I called him and we started talking. And and I said to him, so how's it going? You know, tell me about the group. His excitement is contagious. You know, I I think in video he was a little serious, you know, but he's not like that at all. He's like super open. And he immediately started, oh, we hang out and we do this and we do that. So they get together every Wednesday. As he said, they started five people. Right now it's over 50 people. But they they get together, and yes, they they study the Bible, they pray together, but they eat together. Apparently, there's a lot of food involved in this, you know, Hispanic groups, you know. There's always a lot of food involved, but they they get together for many other reasons, you know. And and they're truly doing life together and there for each other. You know, he told me a couple of stories. He told me about this uh, girl called Elsa uh, who had family come from Mexico uh, to celebrate a quinceanera, you know, 15th birthday party. And, and one of the people that came was uh, her aunt. And while she was here, she fell ill and ended up in the hospital. And, and all the family members that came from Mexico were completely like surprised when the hospital was full of people from this group. They were coming and visiting and comforting them and bringing food and they started sharing the word of God with them. And with whoever would look at them, we we're like, you too, you know, like they started sharing with everyone. And then unfortunately, the aunt passed away you know, and they were there to strengthen the family. You know, in the funeral, the father of Elsa allowed them to say a few words, and they were just shocked with the amount of love and support that they got from a group of strangers. You know, they told me about this uh, girl called Lynette, who's from Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, all of a sudden she sent through their chat group, you know, a message that she needed prayer because her son was, was considering uh, suiciding. you know, like committing suicide. He was having suicidal thoughts. And she said, "Will you just pray, please? But they did more than pray. They immediately started praying, but they started communicating with this young man. And they started sending him messages, and they sent him Psalm 91, They read this, and let's talk. And, and, and the kid kind of came down and stuff. And then after that, he started coming to community of faith, to the student events. Last month, out of his own will, he got baptized, and he's going strong. So th- th- this is, yeah, yeah, that's worth clapping for, man. It is amazing. And you know, um, I know that some of you may think, well, that's normal. They're Hispanics, so or they're flocking together. Let me tell you, that's not the case at all. See, I asked Javi, you know, how many countries are represented in this group? And out of the top of his head, he might have left someone out, but he talked about seven countries. See, there's people from Venezuela, Colombia, Nicaragua, Salvador, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, and Mexico. Javi himself said, you know what's the funny thing? Outside of church, those cultures don't get along at all. At all. I mean, they are completely isolated from each other and some of them consider themselves rivals. But they're, they're family. They hang out together, they celebrate things together, they get together to watch sports in a healthy way, their families are growing together. You know, and not only them together, they serve together, and they serve with you all the time. See, every weekend, there's a group represented from that group serving here. You know, folding programs, receiving you at the door, you know, helping with the tables around here. Every time that there's a local mission, they're there. And it's not just happening in that group, see. Now, I was talking to Brittany, who was who, who running the, the sisterhood, the woman at Cough. And she started telling me that they are, they are forming these girl gangs. You know, that's how they call their groups. And there are certain girl gangs that are doing exactly the same thing. They hang out together. They actually come to church and sit together. And they go have lunch after church and they visit families. You know, the same exact thing. She was telling me how some women are, are mentoring younger women that are going through things that they went through at some point. So they're there for them. And, and one that uh, brought tears to Brittany's eyes, uh, just this last event, a lady uh, sent an Instagram. She, she posted this Instagram. I want to read it to you. She says this, I didn't want to go tonight. I didn't want to go alone. I didn't want, want to have to walk in alone. I didn't want to have to sit by people I didn't know. I didn't want to feel uncomfortable by asking someone if I could have this seat. I didn't want to do one more thing in life alone, but I went. I walked in alone. I sat at the table alone. I asked a sweet lady if I could sit with her, and I didn't feel uncomfortable. I met a new girl gang. I got to make some crowns with pipe cleaners, and I got to wear one. I got to hear that I am so, so worthy, and I'm exactly as God made me. And plan me, and I am so thankful that I listened to the voice that kept saying, It's on the way home, just stop, just show up. So, are you kind of tired of doing life alone? Are you maybe connecting in some other places, but you're still feeling like something is missing? See, this is what the church was designed for. This this is what, what God planned for you to not feel alone. Many of you, you know, come to talk to me at the end of services and say, like, I just don't feel the love of God. I don't feel that he talks to me. It's like, are you connecting with his people? Because he loves you also through his people. So, I mean, at the end, the plan of God was to unite us all in him. Regardless of our identities, those identities that the world has given to us, See, before I am Mexican, before you are American, before you're either Republican or Democrat, we're God's children. We are truly His family. And we may have a different color on our skin or speak different languages, but thanks to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I am united. We are united. So my question to you is, are you truly living the unity that Jesus purchased for you? See, it is there for you. The people that complain that they feel isolated at the church, especially at a church like ours, is because you are not showing up. Like she said, just show up, just connect. Because you're going to realize how the love of God is expressed through doing life together, being strong for each other, serving, you know, being there for other people, this is what will truly fulfill you. And this is what Jesus came to teach us by example. He came here to serve, and so did you. But he planned this beautiful institution so that we could do it.